Good evening. It's 7 p.m. on Wednesday, December 5th. I'm Elisha Sessions, and this is Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. That's a Chicago stomp recorded by uh, Jimmy Blythe in 1924. It's one of the very first records with a boogie-woogie bass line all the way through it. Uh, this, this driving, repetitive piano playing had been around for a couple of decades already by 1924, and it, it took a couple more decades to hear top ten hits like Beat Me Daddy, Eight to the Bar, and the suspiciously similar boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B, both by the Andrews Sisters. Uh, Christina Aguilera gave that Andrew Sisters sound a modern makeover this year with the deliberately retro Candyman, uh, but fast, repetitive bass lines have spread into almost every corner of popular music. Today's Lollards are Mark Sinker, yeah. <laughs> Tom Ewing, Hello. and we have a very special guest today as well, Dave Queen. Dave's from Canada and has written for I Love Music and The Village Voice, among other once great publications. Um, he's also a real live musician. Please send money. <laughs> um, Dave, tell us a little bit about these bass lines. When, when the Andrew sisters say, say, beat me daddy, eight to the bar, what are they talking about? They're talking about the general sadomasochistic content that's in this music. You, you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> Does he need to? <laughs> There's a lot of notes in this, and it causes repetitive strain injury in the player. <laughs> Well, some of these guys love to play fast. They do, and the faster they play, the more likely they are to suffer life-threatening paralysis later from this deranged pastime. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners do. What about, what, <laughs> what about what about boogie as we as like uh, as seventies rockers know it? You know, boogie like does, does what we just heard does that have anything to do with people like Canned Heat or? It's almost is the exact opposite. The 70s boogie was so slow that one could go to a concert and go on vacation and go to university and marry and raise a family and come back and the first encore would not have started yet. <laughs> you you mentioned uh, to me in a conversation we had this band called April, Wi- April Wine. Is that right? Uh, April Wine from Nova Scotia, Canada. Yeah. Probably the only band in the world that made, you know, status quo seem like a daringly avant-garde proposition. So what do, you, what do you mean by that? What do they sound like? They had an album called Harder, Faster, and it was harder than, like, toast dipped in tea. <laughs> and it was faster than my word per minute counts <laughs> on the radio. So, so did, did this music have any distinguishing characteristics whatsoever? They had three guitar players and a bald drummer who was four decades older than the rest of the band. <laughs> so he played they, with Jimmy Bly? Yeah, yeah. We'll I think he was Jimmy Bly's father. <laughs> 
Well, with, with bands like uh, that one and, I don't know, Canned Heat and uh, all these... All Canned these Heat had a guitar player who died when he fell over onto a barbecue. That was their main... They did an album with John Lee Hooker, actually. It was... Um, they, they're just, they pr- probably the first band who recorded the double album where there was just one song recorded over four sides. It was called Boogie with Canned Heat, and it was Four Sides of Boogie. The only bands who do stuff like this now are, like, Stereolab, probably. (laughs) Boogie strikes me as one of these words that where people people love to write songs that have the word boogie in the title, in in the lyrics of the song. I feel rock and there's a lot, certain kinds of popular music just love talking about themselves. Well, it's a good you know? euphemism, isn't it? Like, for instance, the song by ZZ Top called Tube Snake Boogie. Um, that's, I think it's... You kind of get the idea there. Yeah, it's about the frozen food section in Tesco. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> in, the, in the 70s, with all these guys, uh, the, bo- the word boogie had a huge resurgence, but it also had a huge resurgence in, in disco, too. You know, just kind of as this as this code word for cutting loose and having a good time. Um, and I think it probably became somewhat unmoored from whatever earlier sort of technical, you know, meaning that it had. I like, I like the nightlife. I like to boogie. Um, Let's not forget Get Up and Boogie by Silver Convention, which was a Euro disco anthem. I don't know that one. It's brilliant. I would buy it right away. You know, you know, you know, you know the uh, you know boogie oogie oogie by Taste of Honey. Oh, who doesn't put it on? Let's let's listen. I want you to listen, especially to the hyperactive piano when it comes in. Tom, have you have you ever heard that one at a wedding reception? Uh, not actually. Well, I usually at a wedding reception, I'm behind the decks, so that's clearly something I have to add to my repertoire. But you've heard song, you play songs like that at wedding receptions. Yes. Yeah. The, the disco. I mean, we'd probably play Boogie Nights at a wedding if I was DJing. Uh, Celebration by Cool and the Gang. Those are the sort of disco uh-huh. that's that's permeated the wedding scene. Uh-huh. Um, I think probably people at a wedding are too cool to woogie. Um, or too afraid to woogie. Well, and, that, and that's that's exactly what the singer in in Taste of Honey is is trying to. Try I know. To get them and to I can, drop their I mean, mask of reserve I can, here. I can sympathise with that as a as a wedding DJ. The last wedding we played, um, I, I wish them every happiness. But and I hope they're not listening. But they, 
it was a really tough crowd. They they were sort of hanging around and hanging around, and we played. It's the first wedding where we've ever played Salt and Pepper's Push It, and the dance floor has been cleared. Um, <laughs> and ultimately, the magic key turned out to be the Kaiser Chiefs. And we put the Kaiser Chiefs on, and all these 30-somethings charged onto the floor, and they did indeed woogie. Ah, see, 30-somethings. If they'd been 50-somethings, they might have <laughs> Well, there were 50-somethings there, but they were all kind of off enjoying the, the canapes. So, um, so no, we, we had to play to the audience we had. And the Kaiser Chiefs did the job, and so did the Killers. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was it, really. Mm-hmm. And then we, we sort of we sort of thought right well let's let's move away from the killers a bit and put on maybe some prints no off they went well people don't go to these things to dance do they they go because they've been invited yeah and it's they, somebody they go to see people or, get married and then there's yeah. there's kind of dancing afterwards so dancing's not the not the sort of emphasized thing it's just something that occurs so but which, it becomes the centerpiece of the whole thing yeah I mean point. it's it's weird and it's not the reason anyone's going but. At the time it's actually happening, there's a there's kind of like less pressure on the DJ and that you're not expected to play anything other than the usual stuff. But then there's more pressure on the DJ because if the usual stuff's inadequate, you've got to kind of rack your brains to think what new usual stuff they're expecting to hear. And you can't kind of just kind of cravenly come out from behind the decks and go, please tell me what you want to what you want to play. You've just got to keep trying. And office parties, which I've also played, are like that, but kind of sort of almost. I mean, I don't know why people are going to an office party. I've just got out of mine. Um, to nine? No, 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 no. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, kind of to do with resonance because the show on the 19th of December, which will be excellent, um, I'm hosting. And so I said, oh, no, I've got to prepare for the radio show so I can't come to your, your black and white tie-themed theme party. Um, and I tried to make it look as if I wasn't resentful because this year they hadn't asked me to DJ. But you, but you have DJed office parties. I have before. DJed at office parties, yes. Have and it's, Christmas parties. Yeah, Christmas parties. Office um, Christmas parties. Is, is there a difference in dynamic between weddings and office parties with kind of what gets people moving or um, whether people want to move in the first place? I, office parties, the, 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 key with, uh, the key with weddings tends to be getting the relatives on the floor, getting the people who ordinarily wouldn't dance to kind of get up and have a, have a boogie. Um, <laughs> and boogie is actually quite a good name for the sort of dances that, slightly older relatives do at weddings this, this slightly kind of awkward sort of shoulder led sort I'm, of I'm, stiff kind of half twist sort of thing yeah yeah it's sort of like almost a twist um and sort of shuffle for for, for the listeners information we're all we're, 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 yeah. we're in here sort of attempting to dance uh like our older relatives you can do that at home if, if you want um and Whereas at an office party, the, the key is getting the girls on the dance floor. Once you've got once you've got the the kind of younger girls on the dance floor, then all other segments will kind of converge. And so you want to play kind of essentially eighties cheese tends to go down quite well. What is now known as cheese, yeah. Um, but but yeah, there is a different dynamic. And and one of the things, of, of course, is that dancing has historically been quite a, a kind of sexual um, thing to do. And this is an, an alien from my perspective as a, a wedding or office party DJ because what any kind of sexual activity at these things tends to kind of happen. It's, it's much more marginalised. It's something that happens furtively, often kind of side rooms or or sort of does it? <laughs> well, or does it? That's the that if it if at all. Um, and on the dance floor, there's actually this sort of attempt to kind of avoid um, anything that might lead to sort of two people dancing in what might be a slightly intimate manner so you'll get suddenly congas breaking out to kind of break up any of this horrible activity that might be going like on like conga or, lines like people yeah, conga lines kind of waving around the room to the kaiser chiefs asexual or, touching 
gone yeah on. exactly or or kind of like ironic break dancing in in the middle sort of everyone forming a circle and then someone doing their kind of equivalent of of i don't know a, a, a break dancing move um on the floor and it's it's sort of horrible to see in a way but but also kind of endearing and good and you're getting a reaction and everyone's getting out there and moving but um yeah i i think i've i've brought in a record actually which i think um sums up the the office experience and may even have a boogie element to it um shall we give it a listen shall we yeah you naughty naughty woman 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 i'm a naughty man naughty naughty man you naughty naughty woman woman I'm sorry, that's horrible. Um, I, I was going to ask if, if there were any uh, songs that have been written specifically about uh, uh, office hijinks at Christmas uh, parties. And, that, uh, that I think, that's, um, that's, that's Naughty Christmas, Goblin in the Office, uh, by Fat Les, um, who in a previous incarnation uh, was Keith Allen, and in a still previous incarnation was Sex Boots Dread. Um, and he's expanding a, a, a favorite, a favorite of the Lollards. A favorite of, of the Lollards of pop. That is not a favorite of the Lollards of pop. He's unaccountable. Yeah, he's expanding his range there to imitate a forty-something um, um, Indian man at an office party, uh, kind of touching up the ladies. Um, not having been at the kind of office parties where that kind of thing goes on, I can't say how accurate his his impersonation. Not is. having been an, an Indian lecture no well i mean you know as much so as keith allen has ever been um <laughs> like dr bombay like much like well i didn't i didn't dr bombay hasn't tackled the subject of office parties um and nor have i ever played dr bombay at an office party has anything shameful ever happened to any of any of our guests here at an office christmas party i won a prize for making a, a uh, sculpture <coughs> of a dragon out of orange peel that sounds pretty shameful <laughs> it was awesome <laughs> I went to the saxophone player at a band that was playing at one of the parties and asked if I could have a go on it. And then I was very drunk and I dropped it. And <laughs> I uh, was not liable for this 1,200-pound instrument of beauty and <laughs> musical joy that I turned into an ashtray. I'm sorry about that, wherever you are. Oh, no. Was it, was it a funk band? Well, they weren't, so actually I don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> What about school discos? This is this is another uh, this is another area I, where um, where you're not necessarily going to dance, but dance you do. Yeah, I mean, the, at school discos, again, the sort of people who danced, I think, were, were more the ones who weren't kind of getting lucky or, or having any success with the girls who were at the school disco. It was it was much more sort of defiant. Here's something you do. But then, if you couldn't dance um, and you couldn't get any any action. Um, other activities could be arranged, and and something I did at a school disco was I won a prize uh, for a marshmallow eating contest. 
We've got so many winners in the house tonight. Yeah, I I didn't really feel like a winner um, (laughs) at the time or since. In my experience of eating a lot of marshmallows, it's not what you It's sort of, even if if the limelight had then given me the courage to go and shake my stuff, I think having eaten a huge amount of marshmallows, it was a speed marshmallow (laughs) contest as well, so it would have been really inadvisable. All right, well, before we get into uh, more embarrassing (laughs) revelations, it's once again time for Tanya Heaton and another edition of I Hate Music. What do you answer when someone asks you what your favourite Kraftwerk album is then? If you're like me, you say none of them. If you're like most people, you'd say Computer World or Trans Europe Express. But wait, perhaps you think those answers are the answers a bleating herd of sheep would give. Perhaps you and you alone know that the true answer is 1972's Ralph and Florian. Mm, yeah. What's that you say? You can only get Ralph and Florian as a sell-your-kidney-expensive vinyl import illegally copied off the original pressing by a Japanese lunatic? Well, that may be so, but it's nothing to do with the quality of this transcendent record. No, no, no. Or just perhaps, you horrible indie snob, yes. Really, it's the Scooby-Doo theory of music taste. My God, it was the least likely person who dressed up as the mummy. You pick the most underrated record you can and you bullishly praise it. You look cool and your questioner looks full. It works every time. But I really like that album, you squeal. That's okay, I believe you. I applaud your discerning tastes. In fact, let me help you out. Here are some other records you might just enjoy. On the Beach by Neil Young. You'd say. How, oh, how could Neil have never released this harrowing masterpiece on CD, especially since it's his greatest work, apart, of course, from the free CD of feedback that came with Weld? The truth. On the beach, exactly like all other Neil Young records, i.e. fogeyish castrato with acoustic whinges about the state of the nation and uh, girls, girls ignore album, nation ditto, Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed. <laughs> You'd say. It's the most influential thing he ever did. Wait, you have the CD reissue? I pity you, missing out on the vinyl original and its sophisticated use of overtones. The truth? Metal Machine Music is a ridiculous chore which has influenced weedy men who wear niffy black t-shirts and make power electronics. Think of the nihilists of the Big Lebowski, or don't hopefully. Incidentally, it's a curious coincidence, is it not, that all these pioneering power electronic releases sounded exactly like Commodore 64 computer game tapes and came out in the mid-1980s and were cassette-only issues, don't you think? I'm a Gummer by Pink Floyd. You'd say... This is their finest hour. Well, several hours. The individual suites by each member show off their furnace-like musical imaginations, while the collective live disc is a progressive masterpiece, unequalled, except, of course, by their film soundtrack work. The truth. Quite simply, there is no way a civilised culture can call itself so and sanction the issue of solo works by Nick Mason and Richard Wright. Being bombed back to the caves where we could have perhaps grooved picked-like with small furry animals would have been simple <laughs> cosmic justice. Can you think of any more Scooby-Doo records, dear listeners? I would think the actual Floyd Scooby would be the final cut, but I'm not even going to begin to try defending <laughs> that one. <laughs> Anybody else? I, I was um, When I was in hospital um, at, at 14, and I thought there was something wrong with my heart, and my mother was very worried, she went out and bought me an album. Um, 
and the album that she brought to lift my spirits in my hour of great need was in fact the final cut <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's inspiring <laughs> Floyd <laughs> so, so it, was, it was cheerful stuff relapse for another two weeks <laughs> golly I don't think she'd heard it. She just thought, oh, Pink Floyd, Tom likes those. But um, anyway, yeah, I didn't after that. Um, yeah, in answer to the, in answer to the actual question, um, I have a friend who insists... Sure, a friend. Yeah. <laughs> a friend, in, no, insists repeatedly that the, the best Madonna album is Erotica. Um, her Hold on, that was me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, everyone thinks that. Too. Oh, okay. Are you sure <laughs> it wasn't, you see, sure it's wasn't Bedtime Stories? Oh, actually, he does like Bedtime Stories as well. Um, it's a Scooby that's taken over then, in that case, if everyone thinks that, because it was, it was panned generally on release and seen as just sort of not all that. And I was, I'm interested then that it's become a, a touchstone of her <laughs> oeuvre. There's, a, there's sort of, there's other phenomena, aren't there? They're sort of associated with the Scooby phenomena of, of taking this. Yeah, I mean, there's the, there's the kind of early funny stuff phenomena where. Basically, the the first thing a band releases is the best, and then, yeah, it's all downhill from here. And doubting a Scooby kind of treads worryingly close to, um, well, you're only liking that because it's ironic, or, you know, you and your so-called like obviously, as someone who likes pop music, you occasionally get, ah, oh, well, you say that you like that Kylie, but actually, when you go home, you listen to the four sides of Boogie with Canned Heat. <laughs> they, they don't use that particular example. But yeah, the um, it's 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 treading on slightly the whole concept of the Scooby. I think um, while I understand where Tanya is coming from, it's treading on slightly iffy ground. And I think with with someone like Neil Young, he's actually been through a great procession of these records. I mean, he's he's made five or six records, which are in fact he is, as far as I know, still the only person to have been sacked by his record company. Or, or deemed to have broken his contract for not delivering, not for not delivering music, which is the usual reason, but for delivering music which was not deemed to be Neil Young type music. And what, and what, what, what do you think that these these record executives deemed to be Neil Young type music? That I, he think was not that, I think that the, the Tanya's description was a very fair one of the the um, about. Uh, girls and whining about girls and society with an acoustic guitar, which is clearly he's done an awful lot of. Yeah. But he's also made a lot of other records which are nothing like that. Um, sort of trying to out Scooby himself I with think, every yeah, release. Yeah, not yeah. with every release, but with his, every third release. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, with with Neil Young particularly, I've, I found myself in a Scoobyish position in that for a long time the only record of his that I'd actually heard all the way through was Trans, which is the the album he made um, about That's his, his craft work. Yeah, which is his craft work record. And I, the only reason I listened to it was because it, it's got Neil Young's voice with a vocoder on, which I thought, well, winner, here is how. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, someone who don't like Neil Young's voice. This yeah. is how I'm going to get into Neil Young. Um, and so if people said, oh, what's your favourite Neil Young album? I would say, well, you know, to be honest, probably trans. Um, and it would be like, you know, oh, God, yeah, you would say that. You're just trying to be obscure. No, that's horrible. Or no, that's ridiculous. And it was... <laughs> From from where I was coming from, I mean, I think it is quite a good album. It, he doesn't it, sing on Arkweld at all, and equally, Lou Reed doesn't sing on Metal Machine Music. Are you sure, though? <laughs> win, 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 win. Four sides, sixteen point oh two minutes of win. <laughs> Tom, you you brought in another song called "Truck Drivers Boogie" by a group called the Milo Twins. You want to tell us anything about them? Uh, it's a 
Well, it's a song by the Milo Twins. It's, it's it's from a record called Truck Drivers Boogie, which came out um, about six seven years ago, and is a collection of of trucking songs mm-hmm. um, going back to the the very early days of trucking songs. This is one of the earlier ones, and sounds actually quite kind of thin and spindly and unboogieish. Uh-huh. Um, and all of the all of the songs on on the, the album Truck Drivers Boogie kind of proceed along pretty similar lines: coffee shops, waitresses, driving driving a truck. Um, <laughs> Getting home again after driving a truck—that's an important part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes dying before you can get home. Because Don't you, you drive the truck home? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Unless you've crashed it. Um, there's quite a lot of songs. There's songs like "A Tombstone Every Mile" um, and "Diesel Smoke Dangerous Curves," in which the dangerous curves are the dangerous curves of a woman. No, <laughs> what? <laughs> who takes who takes the trucker's eye it's off the road? Long. It's only seven twenty-five here. Just takes. <laughs> Takes the trucker's eye off the road at the moment when he's going round a dangerous curve of the road. The siren of the road. Yeah. The body of Venus with arms. Um, those songs are probably actually better than Truck Driver's Boogie, but I picked Truck Driver's <laughs> Boogie because it has the word boogie in the song. Okay, all right, let's hear it. Six-wheel driver under me So dim those lights so I can see Truck driver's boogie on down the line Truck driver's boogie I gotta bring her in on time The motor hums music to my ear The only thing I'd rather hear Is truck driver's boogie on down the line Truck driver's boogie I gotta bring her in on time There's a cute little redhead around the bend And I know she'll let me in Truck driver's boogie On down the line Truck driver's boogie, I gotta bring her in on time. Got a pot of hot coffee waiting for me, she's the only one's got my recipe. Truck driver's boogie, on down the line. Truck driver's boogie, I gotta bring her in on time. a nickel in, then I hear this record spin, truck driver's boogie, on down the line, truck driver's boogie, I gotta bring her in on time, you may not think I'll have much fun, brother, when my run is done, truck driver's boogie, on down the line, truck driver's boogie, I gotta bring her in on time. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that is from the late 40s, uh, when a a whole bunch of music seemed to be mixing around together, jazz and swing and blues and country music. Um, 
leading to some of some of my favorite uh, favorite kind of music in the world, like uh, Texas Swing, for instance. Um, this one, it, I mean, it's kind of hard to dance when you're stuck behind the wheel of a truck. Um, but it, well, tapping your toe probably isn't advised either, actually. But uh, yeah, I mean, but the, but there is something about this kind of music that seems suited to the open road. You know, the the first. Um, boogie piano tunes came from East Texas and were played by men who worked in logging camps there. Uh, East Texas is close to Louisiana and New Orleans, so it's a lot more cultured than West Texas, which has one of the most forbidding, scrubby landscapes that exists anywhere. But even East Texas had a lot of wilderness 100 years ago. And what stitched that wilderness together was the railroad. And for the men who worked on that railroad, often former slaves or children of slaves, hard-driving piano music echoed the rhythm of the train and its propulsive energy. There's something mechanized about the boogie beat. It, it straps the dancer to itself and it says, hang on if you can. Similar to the new skill of typewriting, really, boogie piano players would compete to see who could, who could play the fastest. If, if you do a YouTube search today for fastest piano player, it pulls up a lot of boogie piano players. But some people were slowing down Boogie and emphasizing the swing of it rather than its manic energy. The um, like Boogie Chillin', recorded by John Lee Hooker in 1948 as well, inspired Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky some 20 years later, which was basically a more electrified version of it. And it was that stomping kind of swing beat that formed the basis for all this glam rock in the 70s, like T-Rex and the Glitter Band and David Bowie. But lots of Boogie didn't swing at all. Um, and I've got I've got an example of one of these here. Now, um, now, uh, listen to this. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. So I think we, we've all heard that one. Um, Sam Sham and the Pharaohs wanted to call this song Holy Gully, but their record company wouldn't let them, so they named it after Sam, uh, Sam Sham's cat, Wooly Bully. Wooly Boogie, Boogie, Boogie Woogie, Wooly oh, Bully. Hold on here. He Holy takes Gully. this record and says, I want to call it Holy Gully. Yeah. And the record company says, oh, no, we can't do that. So yeah. he says, well, call it Wooly Bully. Yeah. That's like, oh, that's, that's 100 okay. million times. For some reason, that was all right. I don't know. Maybe it's like the American record executive who heard the word Yazoo and said, you know, you can't call yourselves that. You have to call yourselves Yaz or something. Like some kind of really weird misunderstanding about the what. Or maybe Holy he was Gully in a conflict with the Holy Gully Munitions Corporation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like an early copyright infringement or something. I, I have no idea. But uh, he apparently really liked these kinds of uh, rhyming words like Holy Gully, Wooly Bully. Um, and to me, I mean, listen to that. That is that's boogie. I mean, that's. That's you've got the like, you've got that just sort of hyperactive bass line. It doesn't swing at all. But it's so bo- of, it's sort of proto disco as well in a way, isn't it? Do, 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 do. What is where's Sam the Sham from? I don't know. I is don't he, know. Is he Latino? 
No, I don't believe He's so. He's not Mexican. Don't think so. Oh, okay. Is this Sam Samudio? That could be. Actually, I don't know. I, I have a feeling he is. I, I just, I've just got in the back of my mind that there's some... Because one of the, the roots of disco is, is Latin music, and Boogaloo. Mm-hmm. And I just have some, you know, having read it rather than heard it, but then I'm hearing that, I, it reminded me of it, that actually there's something, there's some kind of, you know, Latin tinge in there as well. I well, think. there are all these interconnected words yeah. that sound really similar. Like there's the, there's, there's the boogeyman, you know, who's, who's like this supernatural guy who's going to come and get you. Is there a connection there? Well, this is the thing that, that I started getting interested in because I was, I was – you know, I was thinking, why is it called that? Where's the, what's the word from? And there's a, a tradition, really, of, of uh, black music having name words which are um, quite contested as to what their, their root is, so that Miles didn't like the music being called jazz because he says it's just a word for fucking. And, and um, f- there's, a, there's a really nice story about the emergence of the term funk, which is that... Uh, Great trumpeter, Bob, New Orleans trumpeter Buddy Bolden, who sort of proto jazz before jazz really existed and never recorded, was playing in a in a hall in New Orleans. It was very you know very hot, tropical atmosphere. Um, he, he shouted for the windows to be opened, and and then he shouted at someone at the front of the stage, "Take your funky butt away!" And everyone in the hall kind of laughed at this. You know this thing that he'd said, just a sort of thing, uh, improvised remark from the stage, and it became a um, a phrase that people just passed around New Orleans for a week or a month or you know a year, and the hall became known as Funky Butt Hall, and and of course what it means, funky means smelly, and what he's saying is take your stinky ass out my face. Yeah, yeah funky is. And I mean, I, I, I mean, people still use funky all the time. You're like, you know, what's that cheese looking like? Oh, it's a little funky. Yeah, yeah. It means smelly, and it also has this sort of element of sort of dark fear as well. And these are just old English words. And there's also the song "Funky Woman" by Parliament, which I believe is a extreme expression of disgust for a woman who is menstruating. Um, it's which you also find in a lot of Rastafarian songs uh-huh. as well. Uh-huh. And there's the song um, Funky Man by Cool and the Gang, which is about a man who has never been to a laundrette ever. <laughs> <laughs> but the, lyri- the lyrics to Funky Woman are probably ideologically quite unsound, but they are quite humorous, like about this woman attempting to get rid of her stench, and she throws it in the air, and the air says it ain't fair. She, you know, <laughs> George Clinton, he um, had a very funky sensibility. Yeah. So, yeah, so that... It's it seems to be that these words, which are sort of they're funny, but they're really on the edge of respectability, and they're part of you know they move into the language of what this music is is about. So boogie, well, one of the one of the um, you already mentioned him, the booger man. <laughs> it appears the 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 edge of respectability that he appears to be named for, and the uh, bodily secretion is snot. And this, so this was the area I started seeing to start with. It doesn't go anywhere, I don't think. <laughs> Sadly, I, I really like the idea. Was there it. a sort of Struel Peter style moral thing that if you, if you like pick your nose and flick it away, <laughs> that all the, all the flickings you flicked would sort of 
anthropomorphize themselves <laughs> into this creature. Into the might, boogeyman. That might come after you. That's an awesome story. Well, no, I mean, I just made it up now. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> I'll, I'll be telling my son. Yes. But... Yes, he, yeah, until he starts picking his nose, which will be immediately <laughs> if you tell him that story. Um, I just wonder if there's something there between boogie, like the idea of, of, um, of music, which has always had a kind of um, sort of supernatural ability. It can call people forth. It can make people well, rise out very, of their seats and I do things. I can hear my mama call. <laughs> and, that's and, a very... Uh, and, uh, and the idea Lee of Hooker's, a boogeyman. John Lee Hooker's boogie children. Yeah, children. Listen to me. Children <laughs> is is just uh, don't say rhythm. It's all right. Is that's what that's about, and that's what his music's about. But I think, and there's also there's a there's an interesting kind of really uh, tricky area, um, which is that boogie is a derogatory word for black people, black performers, but black people anyway, and it's an old English word meaning ghost. So is sh- so is shade. So is spook. These are um, all derogatory, white derogatory terms for black people. And uh, that's that's also part of what the energy of this word is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the word itself has this fantastic sort of spread all across Europe, uh, if this is the real root for it. But certainly it's the root for um, bogey and boogie and... Uh, bogles, boggarts. Oh, bogles. Bogles. Bogles is a Scottish word for ghost. Yeah. Um, bo- it's also a word for dance, of course. For what? It's also a word for dance, bogle. It's a, it's a Jamaican dance. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Lots of Scots in Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, well, I've got this, this fantastic um, passage which, which gives you an idea of how many of these kind of... Um, these kinds of creatures how they uh lived in the um the kind of social world before people like us in other words people kind of reporting it and writing it down got to it and sort of froze it a bit and i think a lot of this music and a lot of this sort of culture is is at the end where it's sort of trying to melt away again and i mean this is a bit of a jump but it's such a nice passage that i've got to read it anyway bring it on um, it's uh, a summary by a folklorist who was uh, who concentrated on Northumberland, Durham, Westmoreland, Cumberland, the Isle of Man, and Scotland. Uh, it was written in the mid nineteenth century, and he's oh, and it's a summary of what of the it, the kinds of creatures we're talking about. Um, and it, what he's saying, he's talking about uh, All Hallows Eve, which is Halloween. Uh, what a happiness it must have been 70 or 80 years ago and upwards to those chosen few who had the good luck to be born on the eve of this festival of all festivals when the whole earth was so overrun with ghosts, boggles, bloody bones, spirits, demons, ignis fattery, brownies, bugbears, black dogs, spectres, shellycoats, scarecrows, witches, wizards, bar guests, robin goodfellows, hags, nightbets, scrags, breaknecks, phantasms, hobgoblins, hobulards, Boggy bows, dobbies, hobthrusts, fetches, kelpies, warlocks, mock beggars, mum pokers, jemmy berties, urchins, satyrs, pans, fawns, sirens, tritons, centaurs, calcals, nymphs, imps, succubuses, spawns, men in the oak, hellwains, fire drakes, kittercan sticks, tom tumblers, melch dicks, bars, <laughs> kitty witches, hobby lanterns, dicker Tuesdays, elf fires, 
Gilvan Tails, Knockers, Elves, Rawheads, Meg with the Wads, Old Shocks, Oofs, Padfots, Pixies, Pictrees, Giants, Dwarfs, Tom Pokers, Tutguts, Snapdragons, Spets, Spunks, Conjurers, Thurses, Spurns, Tantara Bobs, Swades, Tints, Todd Lowrys, Jack in the Wads, Mormos, Changelings, Redcaps, Yethans, Colt Pixies, Tom Thumbs, Blackbugs, Boggarts. Scarbugs, Shagfalls, Hodge Poachers, Hobthrushes, Bugs, Bull Beggars, Bygones, Bowls, Caddies, Bowmen, Brags, Wraiths, Waffs, Flayboggets, Fiends, Galleytrots, Imps, which I think he's already said, Imps, Guy Trashes, Patches, Hobbin Lanterns, Gringes, Bogests, Bonelesses, Peg Polars, Pucks, Fays, Kidnappers, Galley Beggars, Hudskins, Knickers, Madcaps, Trolls, Robinettes, Friars Lanterns, Silkies, Cold Lads, Death Hearses, Goblins, Hobheadlesses, Bugaboos, cows, cows, nicks, knickknacks, waifs, miffies, buckies, ghouls, sylphs, guests, swarths, faiths, freets, guy carlin, guy carlin, pygmies, chitterfaces, nixies, ginny burntles, dudman, hellhounds, doppelgangers, bogglebows, bogies, redmen's, portunes, grants, hobbits, hobgoblins, brown men, cowies, dunnies, wirracows, old holes, mannequins, follets, corrids, lubberkins, claricorns, kobolds, leprechauns, cores, mares, corrids, puckles, corrigans, sylvans, succubuses, black men, shadows, banshees, leonhanshees, clubbernappers, gabriel hands, morkins, doubles, corpse lights, candles, scraps, mahans, trowns, sorry, trows, gnomes, sprites, fates, fiends, sibyls, neck nevins, white women, fairies, thrummy caps, cutties, and nissies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Amazing. Although I have to say that any list that includes both black men and white women in it is, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Highly Googleable. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's a funky passage. <laughs> I, I just got down, I think. Golly. So I don't, you know, I've heard, I've come is, across... Sorry, is, was Goblin in the office on that list? <laughs> <laughs> Fat Les. <laughs> I, I came across, one of the things that I've, I discovered while I was researching this was that um, Tantara Bobs is um, part of the uh, supposed etymological root of the word bogus bogus like fake like fake which is, which is another of the sort of many words that fits in here and one of the words bogus is in not excellent yeah, yeah. bogus is in not excellent <laughs> but, excellent which is obviously unsatisfactory because all of these are excellent also hobbits supposedly yeah. invented mm. by someone mm. <laughs> well famous 200 years later sorry I'm not talking into the mic you're I'm not so excited yeah <laughs> um, you also have a song uh, that you'd like to play for us by Slade Yes, um, one of the um, the r- related words to um, all these uh, um, bogs and bugs and whatever is the word puck or pook and um, puka, as in uh, the um, Jimmy Stewart, uh, the invisible rabbit in the Jimmy Stewart film Harvey, is a puka. What? Is, what is, I'm sorry, is, is a is that a type of rabbit? No, it's a type of. You know, oh, bug, thing, bogeyman, whatever. Yes, well, I mean, one of those I mean, words that yeah, you just said. Exactly. I, you'd think I would have remembered at least one of them. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, Park was on it, but I don't think Puka is. Um, and this song is called Pook Hill by Slade. <laughs> Did you see us? We were there standing still and the temperature was... 
Very nice. Do you know what it's about? I certainly don't. It's it's something. Pook Hill is older than you or me. Than you or me. Um, I don't know. It sounds like they might be talking about some uh, spirit of the hills that's uh, older than time itself or something. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> the Slade Scooby album was a 1980s piece called uh, Rose Gallery, which figured featured the songs Walking on Water, Running on Alcohol, and Seven Year Bitch. Margaret, are you familiar with these? No, I don't really know the late stuff very well. Mm. I'm, I, I like Slade, and so obviously... The Scoobies. Why? Why? Why is it a Scooby record? It had the most ridiculous cover illustration you'd ever seen in your life, and it was Slade, and it came out in 1987. How wrong <laughs> is that? <laughs> yeah. But they they went they carried on quite a lot longer than that, and then Noddy just said, "I don't want to do this anymore." And then their drummer joined ACDC. I think the. I think there's still a Slade. I think st- there's still a Slade going around. <coughs> two of them left rather miserably, but I might be wrong about that. Um, yeah, sorry. The drummer of ACDC you are thinking of was probably Chris Slade, who used to be in the firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Jimmy Page yeah, and yeah, yeah, Paul yeah. Rogers. Yeah, yeah. There's a theory that every Led Zeppelin album was a Scooby album. <laughs> and they're actually, like, playing a show that people are paying lots of money to see and they're missing like the only good instrumentalist so yeah what do you think of what do you think of john bonham's son having never met the man i'm sure he's quite a fantastic drummer yeah that's that's a lot more political of an answer than i was expecting dave um mark you've got another song uh for us called uh called um mindless mindless boot which is kind of I have to say it sounds it's kind of redundant because the whole the whole sort of thing about boogie is that it's uh it's 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 a driving rhythm it's not something to think about right well it's it, this is a scooby record as well let's see if you can work out why <laughs> Nine hundred. 
I, I, I couldn't work it out. Why is that a Scooby song? That's actually better than anything on a Don Henley or Glenn Fry solo album. It's um, oh. hot, hot Chocolate were a pop disco chart act from the mid-70s to the early 80s. And as far as I know, made no other song remotely like this. Well, And who's, who's well, in them? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they made songs that sounded very like it, because they didn't. <laughs> but they, they were... A, they were slightly more wide-ranging in subject matter than than yeah, the sort yeah. of well-known stuff. They did they did the one about being abducted by aliens, um, called No Doubt About It. And did it sound was, like that? Did it sound like disco? Uh, no, that was more sort of soul. Yeah, the, yes, maybe calling them disco was a bit was well, a bit misleading. Well, that's that's like pretty pop. disco. They yeah, did, they yeah. were more pop soul on that. That's their that's their new wave. Post, yeah, post punk record. Well, it's also their kind of sort of cosmic space disco record i guess in that it it sounds a, a bit like the kind of synths on it sound a bit like the stuff that um patrick cowley and megatron records and mm-hmm. and and those bods in well those, those synths the, that like fast synth yeah. double bass line i mean i feel like that but also the sort of, of boogie yeah kind of noises <laughs> if that was if what you if the patrick cowley stuff is early 80s that's from 79 i can remember oh, being it? on radio one in 1979 as being just like 
I'm quite surprised. Oh, well, it's, it's an inspiration then. It's, yes, a, hidden, it's, it's, it's a, a hidden root of Cosmic yeah, Disco. It, Maybe Patrick Halley heard that and thought, right, I've got to get off the planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's time to go off to Megatron World. I've got to say, it's a pretty misleadingly uh, titled song. It's Mindless Boogie. And I was well, just re- ready to expect just a bunch of dirty beats. And, uh, and then they start talking about players, basically. It's, and they, it's, then they started talking about the neutron bomb and like how we're all robots and we need to get together. And It's a kind of cousin of Panic by the Smiths, where Morrissey's saying oh all this terrible things happening in the world and, and all you people are in the discos dancing um and obviously he didn't have the gumption to kind of join them in the disco and make some yeah. awesome space funk yeah um which which errol brown did there's a lot of despair in in hot chocolates records as well yes that's true i mean it's it has the the soul side of unhappiness yeah. is 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 there quite a lot but it, it's this this idea, yeah, clones and robots that we are. That's that's not a no. It's, it's <laughs> it sounds like their belief in miracles has been betrayed somewhere. <laughs> yes, and, and what's interesting is he was a he was a Thatcher voter, and, vo- and Thatcher had only just got voted in. <laughs> so he was, you know. But there, well, noise is prophecy. That song reminds me a lot of "There But for the Grace of God Go I" by Machine, which I think was around the same time. Um, and was a big disco barn burner and talked about uh, some pretty heavy stuff. I think there were disco records, which had, which were, but not chart records. That was what yeah. was this this one was in a very yeah. sort of strange position because I mean, how big a hit was it? Uh, it was in the forties, I think. I, I don't think it was big, but but Hot Chocolate were expecting their records would get yes. top ten regularly, and so it it was on rotation, expecting to be so, and then. It sort of didn't, in fact. So is that is that a Scooby record because it's the kind of thing that you would claim was the best hot chocolate record if you didn't like hot chocolate? Because it is actually also yes. one of the best hot chocolate yes. records. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yes, that's right. But yeah. if you were a big hot chocolate fan... Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know if, if you were... Because a, I don't think... I think the, There were no big hot chocolate I fans. think that the Scooby... Uh, the discourse of Scooby doesn't... Um, get out of a certain kind of uh, way of thinking about records anyway, which hot yeah. chocolate don't fit into very well. So the big hot chocolate fans would just be... They wouldn't say, you're saying that ironically, because that's not part of the way they would think about it. They would just no. be puzzled. That, you know, <laughs> just go, no, I disagree. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. It's, it's Emma, Emmeline is better, surely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, about all the time we've got. Um, however, I can reveal uh, exclusively here on Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. Uh, the new midweek number one, it's by Anna Coffin, which is the uh, the pseudonym of uh, Canadian uh, minimal techno god uh, Acufen. And um, let's see, what's the song called? It's called, uh, it's called Sneak Preview. Yeah. 
stay tuned for Minnie and Tyro with ten of their friends talking about what they think is interesting and important. Following, uh, followed by the Middle East Panorama at 9 p.m. At 10, Gianluca Tramontana drops in on the Dead String Brothers at a gig in New York. Your Lollards today have been Tom Ewing and Mark Sinker, and our guest was Dave Queen. I'm Elisha Sessions. Good night.